Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Hello, hello. Should I grab a different mic? Sure. I love what you pray for. Hi. Great. Oh, there we go. I do have a loud voice. I've been in theater since I was four. I know you're shocked. Um, so I was always, speak to the back of the room. But I, now that I'm speaking so much, I can't, I can't do it. Or I, I have like a little mini humidifier I travel with. It's a whole drama thing. I have throat lozenges. Guys, I'm a big deal, okay? Just kidding. Hey, welcome this morning. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Carrie. I'm one of the pastors here. I know, I'm a woman. It's weird. Um, and we just want you to know that we're just glad you're here today. Today's a beautiful day in Sandy, or oh, I said San Diego. I was in San Diego. I know, just be careful. But we're, I don't even know where we are. Where's my humidifier? Hold on. Uh, no, right here in Orange County at Vox Church. We're just so glad you're here. And we want you to know that here's a safe place. You get to hang out. You can take a deep breath. You don't have to be any type of way, say any type of thing. You can just sit here and relax and enjoy the morning. So we are glad you're here. Today, we have a couple of announcements, which is super awesome. Guess what? You get to come to my house. I'm opening up my home if you're new. If you're not new, sorry, ship sailed. Uh, but I am thinking about, wouldn't it be fun to just like open it up to everybody and have you guys all just cut like potluck style? Remember potlucks? Who's been in church longer than five years? Okay. So do you remember like potlucks in the fellowship hall? Okay. Super old school. And we're like, ew, potlucks, but I'm all I'm about getting together and eating. We should do a potluck again. Anyway, I was just thinking it would be fun to have you guys all just come over to my house and we could just do a big long table down the driveway. I digress. That's for another day. But if you are into being new here and you want to hang out, we want to meet you. So on the 25th at 6.30 at the Garcia's house, uh, you can come over, which I'm a Garcia. Um, Again, shocking. I know. Uh, you can sign up at voxoc.com and we will give you all the information on uh, where my house is and what to expect. And I don't really know what they're going to tell you. They're just going to give you the address. I don't really know what goes on. I just know you're coming to my house and we're going to hang out and chat about all the new things. So if you're into that, we want to have you come and we want to celebrate with you. We're going to talk about all the cool things that are happening here at Vox and hopefully get you to go, hey, I want to hang out a little bit longer. So that's our first announcement. Our second announcement is workshops. Another thing I'm doing. (laughs) So here's one thing that um, when I said, I really want to be a part of the Vox family and I'd love to come on staff. One of the things that I really wanted to do is to be able to offer... Um, workshops where we could talk about specific subjects and offer it to all the church. And most of the time I do stuff for women um, in workshops, but I feel like these topics are for everybody. And so this time we're going to talk about um, loneliness, depression, and anxiety no more. So we're going to talk about the um, kind of the effects of those things and what are some of the tools that we can start to use to walk out of those things and what's going on in our brain. It's going to be super Super interest. I love it. 
I wrote it. I think it's great. Um, But I would love you to come hang out. That is going to be on April 30th at 7 p.m. It's going to be at my center that um, I opened up. And we would love to have you come. I do need you to sign up, though. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. We're offering this to all of you Voxers um, as a free workshop. But I need you to sign up because I got to know, like, how many tables. And there's 100 of you. It kind of changes the dynamic. If there's 10 of you, that changes the dynamic. doesn't matter. We're going to do it if there's two of you. Um, so, but I just, if you could sign up to let us know that you're coming, that would be really helpful for me and make sure that there's enough handouts and stuff. So that's that. We have an awesome, awesome morning planned for you. Um, we are going to do some baby dedications today and, uh, we are going to have a great message from Tim. We're going to do some worship and we're going to hang out as a family. So here's David. Good morning, David. Good morning. These glasses are awesome, right? (laughs) I finally got glasses. I can't, I know, because I can never, if you're new here, I can never read. I turned 40 and I got blind too. So all the fun with the 40. All right, Carrie, good, thank you. I'm just kidding. You're welcome. Hang on. That was weird. Hey, you guys. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, gosh, why don't we so welcome many. these beautiful families? We are going to be dedicating this morning. Um, we have 11 kids. And actually, for the first time ever in ever my career, we are dedicating a 17-year-old. Is that right? 17. Yeah. Uh, Josh is the shyest guy you will ever meet. But this morning, he's like, hey, I want to say something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put him on the spot. (laughs) But um, these beautiful families are here because they want to dedicate uh, their uh, kids to to the Lord. And for those of you who don't, who maybe never have seen this, this is more of a declaration as parents um, saying in front of a community of people that they have been um, attending with that they want to create in their home an environment where they make Jesus beautiful for the hopes that these beautiful children at some point in their lives will commit to following Jesus and also for these children to pass on faith to the generations yet to come. And Psalm 78, I love this psalm. Um, I'm going to read just portions of a uh, portion of it. But it says, uh, my people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And that's our desire as parents. I have two of my own that we would pass on faith, put Jesus on display in our home so that they will see it and will know a beautiful Jesus at some point in their lives. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to hand the mic and each family is going to introduce who they are and who they bring to dedicate. We'll start here. Hello, my name is Andy and my wife, Mercedes, <laughs> and our three children. This is Sunflower. You don't say hi. Yes. <laughs> and Rhodes here and Shepherd, who we are dedicating today. Rhodes, you want to say hi? <laughs> there you go. That's a little bit about us. Hi, my name is Misty, and this is my husband, Fernando, and we are dedicating our daughters today. My name is Lily. I love her. <laughs> Girl after my own heart. And, and that's Vivian. <laughs> okay. 
Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're the Olsons. My name's Casey, my lovely wife, Stephanie, and our youngest, Cameron. You want to say hi, bud? Say hello. Okay, no. <laughs> he likes to show me up in both his uh, hair and his dress. <laughs> and then we also have our six-year-old, Sydney, out there, who's already been dedicated. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Taylor. This is my beautiful wife, Amy. And we're dedicating our little baby boy, Lincoln, here. And I would have him say hi, but he's not talking yet. <laughs> hi, everyone. Uh, we are the Ekstroms. My name is Jason, and this is my wife, Jessica. And we are dedicating our son, Logan. Want to say hi, Logan? Hi. <laughs> Come on. So good. Um, hi, my name's Laura, my husband Dave. Um, we thought we'd, we were going to have just four, and we'd dedicate them then, but we added two more. So, hey, why not do it all together? Yeah. <laughs> um, Josh, our oldest, Sarah, um, Ty, Naya, Brooke, and Jordan. So. Yes, Laura, they're all the dedication yes. right here. Yes, props, Laura, for actually knowing their names. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love these families, and this is exciting. If you are actually a family member and you're here this morning, would you stand? We want to recognize you as well. If you are related to any of Yay. these uh, beautiful people on stage, please stand. And I just want to encourage... You family members, you guys walk alongside them more than we do. You guys are in their sphere of influence. And I encourage you to come alongside them, pray for them, encourage them as they pass on this faith um, to their children and create a home that is a home where beautiful Jesus exists. So I want to encourage you guys and I want to um, just ask that you guys would do that. And the beautiful thing about, uh, you guys can have a seat. You guys don't have to stay standing. Thank you. And the beautiful thing about this community as well is that... Um, I, what I love is that we know a lot of each other. Uh, we know a lot of each other, so I encourage all of us as a community to come alongside them as well, to encourage them um, as they walk um, towards uh, creating this in their home. So we're going to pray and we're going to dedicate. Our community pastors are hanging out. They're going to lay hands on these beautiful families. Um, would you, if you would like, extend your hand as we pray and bless these families this morning? Um, uh, Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've created. We thank you that you um, have allowed us to come alongside these families. Um, Lord, I love uh, their step of faith, Lord, that they have begun to um, desire to create in their home a place where they put you on display and they live out their life to um, show their children uh, who you are. God, I pray that you would go before them, that you would give them courage, that you would give them boldness. Lord, we dedicate these children reminding, reminded that, Father, these gifts are from you. And our responsibility, Father, is to, Father, show them who you are. God, as a community, as family, may we walk alongside them. May we come alongside them in times of, of, of trouble, in times of hurt, Father. May we encourage them, love them, and pray for them, God. Lord, um, raising a child um, is difficult, and it takes many, Father. And I pray that you would continually remind us, Lord, that you are our hope and our strength as we raise children. We ask that you would bless these children, that you would shine your face upon them, and that you would give them peace and peace to these parents in troubled times. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much.
Thank you, families. Josh, everybody, Josh. <laughs> All right, guys. What a beautiful example of the body of Christ working together. That dedication is about our family coming together and loving and being a part of other families. That is what is beautiful about the body of Christ, yeah. is that we together, you know, can, can come around a family in need and in want and in joyous times. That's what's beautiful, is that we all know that life can be hard and life can be grand, but to do it alone is just not so great. But to do it with others linking arms together is what makes God beautiful. So what a beautiful morning to be able to do that. We're going to welcome Tim to come out and uh, do a message and bless us today. Thanks, Tim. <clears throat> hey. <clears throat> <clears throat> Listening to those um, sounds kind of reminded me of teaching at Biola when I hand back a test. <laughs> people crying, some people saying no, no, just kind of brought back some fun memories. Um, so I have two times left with you. It was announced last year when we talked about, last year, last week, when we talked about our leadership changes that unfortunately I'm going to have to step away from the uh, teaching team due to migraines, but I have two shots left, which I thought to myself, what would I do with two last messages? And I want to talk about two convictions that I feel like over years of ministry, the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing me back to these two different convictions. Uh, to start, uh, here's a book that really has haunted me. One of the sad things about migraines, I don't get to read as much as I used to, but uh, these old books that I've read still haunt me. Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. In the introduction, he is talking to a friend of his who is a, a psychologist who does uh, counseling sessions with people. And in this one counseling session, he meets a young mother with a child who tragically shares that in order to make life work, she's actually been renting out her child uh, for sex issues, which is tragic. But this is what it says in the introduction. And this is the psychologist speaking. What struck me about my, uh, Yancey, what struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like this prostitute, fled towards Jesus, not away from him. In the counseling session, the counselor actually said to this woman, um, hey, have you ever considered going to the church for help? And the woman laughed out loud. And she said, I already feel bad about myself. Why would I go to the church only to make myself feel worse? So after that comment, this is what he says. What struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like this prostitute, fled towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he was alive on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? I did all my graduate education at UNC Chapel Hill, my master's and my PhD. It was a great place, but I was always the most conservative person in the room. I was the only uh, conservative Christian in my whole department. And when I first got there, I didn't tell them I was a Christian. I thought, you know, I'm just going to ease into this. So I got privy to some uh, backroom conversations about what they thought about Christians in Chapel Hill. Here were the two stereotypes of us that really uh, disturbed me. One... Uh, we don't care about the poor. We don't care about people who struggle. The second one is we only want to push our own political agenda. 
And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder what Jesus would think of that, if, if that was the reputation that his followers has had. So the one talk I want to give this morning is, I think we need to go back in time. I think we need to go back to the early church, find out why they received this moniker of Christians. Uh, there's a little bit of a debate whether it was a negative term or a positive term. I'm actually going to throw my hat in the ring and say it was begrudging respect when the early Christians received this title called Christians. Next slide. Uh, so how do we change our reputation? Aristotle would say, when you walk into a room, the most important thing about you is your ethos, your reputation. So what is the reputation of Christians today? Sadly, we're known as being overtly of one political party. Uh, we we uh, are anti and just list a bunch of different things, and we, they really don't know the positives about our beliefs. So let's go back to when our reputation was first earned. Early on, uh, Christians and never called them early Christians never called themselves Christians. The most common term that is used is saints. The term is only used three times in the Bible. They were first called Christians in Antioch. We're going to take a look at Acts 11. The ending I. A-N means belonging to the same party of. So Christians meant that you were in the party of Jesus. Next slide. So let's go to Acts 11, 19 to 23. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word uh, to no one except to Jews alone. So very quick points. One, it was persecution that spread the church. Now, I'm not of the um, theological persuasion that God causes these things to happen, but he certainly uses them for his purposes. So when really hard times hit the early church, they were forced to scatter. It was not safe to congregate together, but that scattering had great purposes in God's economy. It literally took the gospel everywhere. Um, and they were just uh, sharing with Jews and not Gentiles. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Hey, what's going on in Antioch? We're getting huge reports that a ton of people are coming to faith in Antioch. So I want you to go there and tell us what's going on in Antioch. When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, underline that in your mind. The first thing Barnabas sees when he gets to Antioch, he describes it as, I see God's grace everywhere in Antioch, and began encouraging them with their resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Underline that as well. Two things he sees, the grace of God is everywhere, and you are staying true to what Jesus taught. Continue to do that. Um, the disciples then were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, let's understand what was happening at Antioch. Then we'll understand why the grace of God was present and why they were called Christ followers or Christians. This is Antioch. Um, Antioch had massive problems. It was a fortified city, which meant they couldn't go out. They had to go up or down. They had massive overcrowding problems. Life in Antioch was extremely difficult. Uh, there were sanitary issues. Roads were horrible. People literally were living on top of each other, and life was incredibly difficult if you lived in Antioch. So Christians had a choice to make. What do we do? We live in Antioch. Are we part of it, or do we separate and just take care of ourselves? Next. Next slide. Thank you. 
I do love Antioch, though. No, they, I, um, yeah, next slide. <laughs> All right, so some of the things we know about Antioch is, is, what's that? Oh, thank you so much. By the end of the uh, first century, Antioch had a population of 150,000. Its population density would be roughly 75,000 inhabitants per square mile or 117 per acre. Uh, initially, it was a fortified city. Next slide. This population density was incredible. Take a look at Chicago. Chicago had 21 inhabitants per acre. New York, 37 inhabitants per acre. So in Antioch, they were living on top of each other. Life is not pleasant. Life is extremely difficult. It's hard. And in order to survive, people divided themselves up into factions. So Antioch was based on ethnic, religious, and even political. People were just taking care of their own little part of Antioch. Now, the Christians in Antioch had a choice to make. What do we do? It would have been totally understandable if the early Christians would have said, well, just like other people are segregating in Antioch, we're going to segregate. We're going to take care of our own. We'll pull money together. We'll pull resources. We'll be fine, and we'll take care of our Christians, and nobody else would have thought anything of it because we're doing the same in Antioch as well. That is not what the early Christians did. Next slide. So key points, they were scattered by persecution. Second, evangelists were unnamed. I love that. I love the fact that the evangelists who went to Antioch, we have no idea who they were. Men and women, you can serve your whole life and you're not going to get headlines. Right? You're going to serve your whole life, and no one's going to know what you do except the neighbor next door that you helped. The homeless person who cannot repay you whatsoever, there is a chance you'll never get public praise. But just know that God is deeply watching everything you do, and he is the one that is affirming you. Barnabas saw evidence of God's grace and that they had remained true to the Lord. The disciples were first called Christians. I think this was begrudging respect. You were following in the footsteps of Christ. Next slide. Evidence of God's grace and why they remain true to the Lord. Next slide. Now, we know, it's so funny, um, we know what Jesus thinks is important. We just sometimes don't do it. Jesus was very clear. He would have been a great college professor, right? You would have known what was on the test when it came to Jesus. He spelled it out. Jesus said, I'm going to give you two commandments. They're actually the same, but they're going to seem different. So here are the two greatest commandments, right? When I say that to my students, they all write it down, right? When I say, hey, here are the two most important things about this lecture, my students write it down. By the way, just a quick aside, that's why I went into teaching. That's why I... In real life, no one writes down what I say. No one does. In the classroom, I say something, everyone writes it down, and I'm even going to test you to see if you wrote it down correctly. The power is intoxicating. And I want to change young minds. Okay, so... This is what Jesus says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, okay, first, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's just stop right there. We could do a whole sermon on this one. Interesting that he adds to it. This is the Shema. This is the holy prayer of Judaism. And Jesus says, by the way, I'm going to add one thing to the holy prayer. He said, oh, oh, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. He adds mind. 
Today, I think it's incredibly important. Here's what I notice about my students today. They don't know why they believe, and it weakens them. Right? They're Christians. If you were to say, hey, is the Bible inspired by God? They'd say yes. Did Jesus rise from the dead? They'd say yes. Is Jesus the only way to get to God? They would say yes. But they are one question deep on all those issues. If I say to them, if you were born in Istanbul, would you be Muslim? If you were born in Istanbul, would you believe that the Quran's the holy word of God and not the Bible? Well, no, I'd, I, I think I'd be a Christian. Okay, why? Why? Why choose Christianity over Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world? Why choose Christianity over Buddhism, um, which is the old, one of the oldest religions? And men and women, we are called to love God with all of our mind, which means we need to know why we believe things. And, and it's a whole lifetime of learning. You don't need to become apologetics people, right? You don't need to go buy a million apologetics books, right? You just need to buy one. The God Conversation by Tim Yohoff and J.P. Moreland. That's it. You just need to buy one. <laughs> and the Mielhoff family thanks you. All right. But no, you need to read something because it will start to wear on you over time. And our students just start to go inward. They don't go outward anymore because they don't have answers. If Jesus is the only way to get to God, well, then what about people who have never heard of Jesus? What do you do with those people? And my students are like, I, I don't know. Well, I think we need to wrestle with this. Uh, if God is so good, he's powerful, good, present, loving, then how, how in the world does a massive school shooting happen? If God knew about it and he was powerful enough to stop it, why didn't he stop it? Right? We need to have rudimentary answers to these questions, I think. Right? So he says, okay, this is the first great one. Next. Uh, then he says, I'm going to give you the second, but it's exactly like the first. I love that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly like the first. The first is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is love your neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you're loving God. When you care for your neighbor, you are caring for God. When you help, when you um, uh, affirm your neighbor, it is as if you're doing that to God himself. That's how serious he takes these two great commandments, right? And the early church never forgot this. They always remembered caring for your neighbor is worshiping God. Next. Live, uh, oh, so when he says, um, these are the two great commandments, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting from Leviticus, so people would have known that he's quoting from Leviticus. It's interesting with neighbor love, go back to Leviticus and, see, and get the fuller in-depth version of what, he, what it actually means to love your neighbor. What are examples? Here from the book of Leviticus, live generously towards the poor and the alien. That word generously means over the top over the top towards the poor. So notice that, the poor and the alien, they had no place in Greco-Roman world. If you financially didn't have any resources, well then I'm sorry, you're at the bottom. There was no social welfare system in Greco-Roman world, so they had no advocate. The alien, and this needs to be heard today in this political climate, the alien was the other, the other who came into our city and necessarily couldn't provide for the city. But Levitical law said, 
neighbors do two things. They generously care for the poor. And the alien, the person who feels like they don't belong, the person who feels like, I don't have a place in Fullerton. I don't have a place in Brea, La Habra. We look at that person and we say, oh, no, no, of course you have a place here. There's always a place for you here. That's what I love about Vox. You see people at Vox you don't necessarily see at other churches. There needs to be a place where people come that are in process. It's messy. They don't know, right? We always need to welcome people. And yes, I believe when it comes to immigration, yes, the United States can't save the entire world. We can't. We don't have deep enough pockets. But we need to have really strong questions about what do we do in times of crisis. We're experiencing one of the greatest humanitarian crises in the history of the world today with the Syrian refugee crisis. We need to ask really hard questions like, okay, what do we do and how do we respond? Well, the church says, okay, we absolutely have a voice in the government, but it takes time for the government to act, right? There's there's a lot of checks and balances that are great, but the church doesn't need those checks and balances, right? The church says, hey, we can move quickly. We're, We're mobile, so let's reach out generously to the poor and generously to the alien. Number two, do not be deceptive in dealings with people. We're different. We are principled people. We're not run by pragmatics. Yeah, this might be better for the company if we did this, but pragmatically, it doesn't work this way. And if, since this is my second, right, this is one of two, this is one of two, okay? Let me just say this. Our politics are not determined by pragmatics. They're not determined by pragmatics. I get that one candidate or another may be better in the long run, but we don't do that as the church. We're principled. We say, yeah, it makes a ton of sense for us to do X. It makes a ton of sense to do that, legally, religiously, but we just can't do certain things because there's principles that guide our actions, right? Yeah, one from Carrie, love her, right? (laughs) Do not, (laughs) Carrie, you need to be in my classes at 8 a.m. I need Carrie in my classes. Do not oppress, rob, or exploit the poor by paying unfair wages, right? We seek to help people. We want to be generous towards people. Next. I live generously, uh, yeah, next. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. My goodness, right? These are people who have no advocates. Where are they supposed to go for help? The church is where they go. So I've argued this publicly, and everything I'm saying is publicly, is we need to step up and find out who are the people that are at risk in our communities, and we're the first ones to help, right? So let's talk just for a second about transgendered bathrooms, right? I think as a Christian, this is an easy one, right? Everybody in our community ought to have a right to go to the bathroom. They ought to feel comfortable going to the bathroom. And by the way, the transgendered community, 40% suicide rates among the transgendered, attempted are actual. So we step up as the church and we say, listen, this is insane. If people are bullying you, we're telling them to stop. And if somehow you're construing what we're saying, giving you permission to bully the transgender community, please know that is wrong to do. We never bully people. We will always help you. And by the way, if you feel like you can't go to the bathroom, we will make it easy for you to go to the bathroom, right? Now, we have to work out the details. There's concerns. Bathrooms are for everybody, not just one subset. 
upset, but the, but the at-risk people, we step up and we say, but you're at risk right now, so of course we're going to remove every impediment. Of course you're welcomed in our churches. Of course our churches, just like they should be accessed when it comes to disabilities, it should be accessed to everybody. So we should have bathrooms, in my personal opinion, we should have bathrooms that are for everybody in our church, because we don't want people to leave because they can't go to the bathroom at church, right? Now listen, I'm not a pastor, I'm not on an elder board, I'm not even, right? So I get what I'm saying is like, let's do it, on three, and people actually run churches are like, oh my word, right? President of my university, right? If I ran Biola, we would be broke out of business. <laughs> right? I don't have to think about all those things, but I do think the church sits down and says, but listen, if we're going to err, if we're going to err, let's do it generously towards people, right? Uh, do not slander others. By the way, other churches don't do it the way Box does. We stop talking bad about them right? People do things differently in this community, and they're led by the Holy Spirit. They've got elder boards, they've got great leaders, and they really do disagree with some things we do at Box. That's okay. This kingdom's big enough, right? So we got to stop. How we talk about other people, we're on the hook for that. So Box does things, and there's people who disagree with us. We don't slander anybody, right? We're all in the same kingdom. If you got a problem with another church, pick up the phone, meet with the elder board, meet with the pastor, but just don't slander them. Let's have productive conversations conversations with people, right? Don't hate your brother, right? No, we love people. Um, don't seek revenge or hold a grudge, but extend forgiveness to people. That is what marks us, is that we are people of forgiveness. It changes our parenting, it changes our marriages, and it changes how we do church. Next. Paul, he said this, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So I think that is what the church needs to get back to. Hey, it doesn't matter if you agree with us politically, and we're going to disagree politically. It doesn't matter if we disagree morally, and we're going to disagree morally. Again, part of loving your neighbor is looking at your neighbor and saying, I'm sorry, that's wrong. I'm sorry, that doesn't add to human flourishing from a biblical perspective, right? Well, could you be wrong with what the Bible says? Yeah, I could be wrong with what the Bible says, but let's have that conversation. I don't think I'm wrong, and I get what I'm saying can be hurtful to some people, but to, to care about your soul as well as your body, I must tell you what I think human flourishing entails. But we're all a community. I'm not saying it's my way or the highway, so let's all do this as a community. Next. This is what Rodney Stark says in a book you have to read once in your life called The Rise of Christianity. He's a non-Christian sociologist. He studied why the church rose like it did and, and grew like weeds. This is what he says. Since Antioch suffered acutely from all of these urban problems, it was an acute need of solutions. No wonder the early Christian missionaries were so warmly received in the city for what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life and Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. Wouldn't that be great if that was our reputation? In Brea, in La Habra, in Fullerton, hey, thank God for these churches. Listen, I get that they have some weird beliefs. I get that. But man, life is better in Fullerton because these Christians are here. That's what we need to be known for. And if we do that, it'll open the door to have some interesting conversations about moral issues and things like that. Next. 
So application, modern neighbor love, where to begin? Not only see your neighbor, but have compassion towards your neighbor. Next. Um, compassion is rooted in caring. Look what Paul says in Romans 9.2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart towards um, his Jewish uh, brothers who weren't Christians. The word sorrow can be translated as pain, torment, or grief, and is often used of persons in mourning. So let me ask you this question. Do you have great pain and unceasing sorrow towards those who don't know Christ? Paul says, I even weep towards those individuals. Have you ever wept? at a non-Christian community member? Have you ever wept for a non-Christian family member? Right, you're just overcome with the fact that they don't know Jesus. Now, let me, let me take a deep breath. I, I never have, but why? I think that's an interesting diagnostic moment. Why do not have, I have the compassion of Paul or Jesus weeping in front of Jerusalem? What is it about my heart that I don't, and by the way, if we wept for people, And we know from communication theory that you pick up on that. That's called emotional contagion, which means the the feelings I have towards you actually literally bleed upon you. We call that getting a good vibe from a person, getting a bad vibe. So if we are weeping for people, they are going to know, my goodness, those people care for me. Even if we disagree with each other on certain issues, that emotional contagion, when you have deep, unceasing sorrow for a person and you really want to minister to that person, you're going to tear down some interesting walls to get to those people, and Jesus did that. When he did table fellowship with people, he basically said, and he got deeply criticized by table fellowship, right? Sitting with known sinners and tax gatherers, he didn't care. That was his response. I don't care what you think of this. I came for the lost. These are the lost. I'm having a meal with them. And in Greco New Testament times, having a meal was much more than just eating together. It really did symbolize a level of fellowship. So when people walked by and saw Jesus sitting with known sinners, the Pharisees were upset. Like, what are you doing? You can't do that. And Jesus said, yeah, I don't care what you think. I'm here for them. I don't care. I make my students identify who those individuals are. I make them identify who would be at the table that you would walk by, look, and go, oh, Jesus. Jesus, come here. Come here. You can't be with them. That really looks bad. Right? And I think Jesus would say, yeah, I don't care. Right? I think that is radical. So we reach out to people, and, and, and we'll get criticized. Of course we'll get criticized. And in the end, we say, listen, we came for the lost. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do. Right, next. Daniel Taylor says this. He's a Christian uh, um, writer I really like. If you are loved, you generally know it. That's emotional contagion. And if you know it in great part by how someone acts towards you, the simple fact is that the people whose behavior we believe is sinful do not report that they feel loved or anything close to it. So we, do we really love people outside the Christian community? Do we love people that we disagree with? I think the answer is, by and large, they would self-report we don't feel loved at all. Next. So where do we start? Oh, oh yeah, thank you. Compassion includes empathy. 
When you sympathize, the confusion and joy of of pain belongs to another person. When you empathize, the experience becomes your own, at least for the moment. So Rescuing Jesus is a book written by a sociologist. She came to Biola, Azusa, Cal Baptist, Wheaton, a bunch of schools, and she studied how are same-sex attracted students treated at these universities, how are transgendered students treated at these really conservative universities. And to be honest, Biola was mentioned all throughout that book and in some pretty unflattering ways. And and we just wonder, like, okay, her methodology, who did she talk to, uh, who did she reach out to? But it comes across as being pretty negative. Now, one response from Biola University could be, well, that's just garbage. We're not even going to dignify a response to it. But here's what I say. So, so our... Uh, the people who represent us in Sacramento are not fans of Biola University. They want to close Biola University because we're a conservative Christian school. And SB 1146 last year uh, was going to be a huge legal battle that most likely would go to the Supreme Court. Well, we get rumblings that they're coming back at us because of how uh, the rules that we have at Biola University. So I, I agree that we need to resist that. But first, let's empathize. So, so if all I knew about Biola University was from that book, I would close Biola University. If all I knew about uh, Wheaton or Azusa was what was in that book, I'd be mad. People are being abused. They're being bullied. They're being right. So, so a little bit of empathy towards these politicians to say, listen, if I had the view you had of Christianity, I'd be shutting down Christianity too. But listen, let me give you a different perspective. Let me tell you differently about who we are. So the first thing we do is we have empathy towards people and try to see the world through those people's eyes. Next, Uh, compassion entails confronting the uncompassionate. Now, let me say this very quickly. We'll run out of time. How we talk about people privately is how you'll treat them publicly. It's one of the hallmarks of communication theory. How I speak about people privately determines how I treat them publicly. So in the church, we know how we're supposed to talk about people, right? Paul says this. Finally, Peter says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. So here's what happened one time. I was at this conference. I've never been invited back. I was at this conference. I'm speaking about this issue, and I bring up the transgendered issue, the transgendered bathroom issue. I don't know any of these people. They're pastors. These three pastors come up to me, and one guy says, oh, I got a solution for the uh, transgendered bathroom issue. I was like, oh, what? He goes, let's have three bathrooms. He, she, it. Now, I looked at this guy. By the way, I had half the day yet to speak. I looked at this guy, and I said, hey, brother, can I say something to you? We don't refer to people born in the uh, image of God as an it. We just don't do that. And he said, oh, come on. I was kidding. I said, to me, that makes it worse. Right? So it did not go over well. (laughs) But listen, how we talk about fellow believers is how we treat them. How we talk about people from another political persuasion is how we're ultimately going to treat them. So guess what we need to do? We need to speak in the kindest ways towards people, even if we disagree with them. Even if we disagree with them. Listen, whatever you think of the man in the Oval Office, it's President Trump. 
He earned that right. Yes. We need to treat him with dignity, even as we disagree with him. Her Secretary Clinton, a woman who earned that title, you can disagree with her all day long. But in Christian circles, how we talk about people ought to be radically different than how other people do the argument culture today, right? We can disagree with each other, but there's always seasoned with grace and goodwill because we're brothers and we're all community members. Last. Next. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, Book of Proverbs says, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. I love the realism of that verse. They're still going to be your enemies. But can we live at peace with people in our communities? I think the answer is yes. Why? Because being a community member, helping this community, is one of our top priorities as Christians involved in neighbor love. Next. So I got so bothered by this issue, uh, me and a friend of mine, Rick Langer, wrote a book. It's called Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World, and in it we ask certain questions that I think the church needs to ask. First, how do you start a conversation with people who really disagree with you? I think most of us stay silent because I don't know how to start this without it going south in a heartbeat. We've all been in conversations that have gone south. Second, how do we combat the stereotypes that we have? I think stereotypes are great because they're easy to combat once you learn what the stereotypes are. If the stereotype is that we don't care for people, that's an easy fix. We can go out and we can demonstrate to the, our community we really do care about people, right? Um, how, do you ever use a prophetic voice? Yeah. The Bible has prophetic voices where sometimes we just stand up and say, I'm sorry, that's wrong. I don't know what else you want me to say, but being true to the Bible, that's wrong. My only problem is I think we use the prophetic voice too much today. We're known for the prophetic voice. You don't run up to a car accident, pop your head in the window, and say, see, you should have been wearing seatbelts. Right? There's a time for that, but not when people are hurting do we kick into the prophetic voice. And then lastly, can we rescue social media? No. <laughs> Yes, we can rescue, yes, yes, we can rescue social media. But we're, some of you, let me just say this as kindly as possible. Some of you need to get off of social media. You do, you need to get off because right now it's not the right tone. What you're saying may be true and even biblical, but the tone is completely wrong. Paul said, you are to speak truth and love to people. It's both. If you can't do both, you're not ready to speak. All right, so let me pray for us. Here's what I love about Vox. I know the heart of the leadership. It is right here. It is on this issue. By the way, I know the heart of the leadership of Whittier Area Community Church, whack. And guess what? They're brothers in arms when it comes to neighbor love. I know the leadership of EV Free Fullerton, and guess what? They would sign off on, on neighbor love as fast as we would. Now, it may look differently, but the one thing we all have in common, and my goodness, if we all linked arms with each other. Imagine, whack, EV Free Fullerton and Vox linking arms with each other? It would be, we would have an army that would be unbelievable, an army of compassion. And if differences are keeping us apart, then let's get rid of the differences. Let's talk about these differences, and then let's talk about neighbor love, and I promise you, knowing the leadership of those two other great churches, they are absolutely on the same page when it comes to neighbor love. Now, they may disagree about the communion table, okay? There's real theological disagreements that we need to let people have, but when it comes to neighbor love, I promise you, all of those churches would sign off, and if we set up a meeting, I bet you they'd take that meeting, right? So I think we have advocates 
everywhere. And uh, knowing the, this leadership team of, of Vox, man, you have good people whose hearts are absolutely in the right place, okay? So let me pray for us as we move forward. Father, we come before you and uh, we confess that sometimes we're not good neighbors. We're self-absorbed. Sometimes we put politics above neighbor love. Sometimes we put our own personal preference above neighbor love. Father, there are things that rightly divide. There are. But Father, let us not reach those things too quickly. There is a time for the prophetic voice, but let us not lead with that. Let us lead with the pastoral voice. Father, I thank you for Ronnie. I thank you for David. I thank you for Andy. Um, I thank you for Carrie. I thank you for Christina, for Izzy, for this leadership team that you have put together. Lord, their hearts are in the right place. They love you. They desperately want Box to be a place that is known as neighbor love. So, Father, let us be good Christians. That when people look at us, they see something of you. So, Father, prepare our hearts for worship when Izzy comes up with the team. But, Father, worship's going to be how we meet the foreigner, how we meet the alien, and how we meet the homeless uh, outside of this church. We do pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. So you might have a lot of questions after today. That's okay. That's what we do here. We do questions. So if you could put on the screen where they could text you questions, I just feel like people are going to have some feelings today. We're going to have some feelings. We're going to have some emotions. That's okay. I was about ready to scream out over there in the corner. I mean, I kind of was. But I know that we all don't agree on things. That's okay to not agree on things. But I I hope you walk away knowing that what Tim's real heart about everything he said today was, we can disagree and still love each other. We can disagree and still love each other. It's just powerful. That's that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty. We can disagree and love each other. So we love you. You are loved here. You are loved here no matter what you believe, no matter what you think, no matter how you feel, you are loved here. And God loves you. So we are so thankful that you are here today. Hey, if you love Vox and you call Vox your home, we love Vox and we call Vox our home and we want to keep doing this. We want to keep having people be able to come to a safe place, hearing messages where you have to walk away and be like, okay, you know, it's good. It's good for us. It's good for us. If you want to see that keep happening, would you prayerfully consider participating with us financially? We have boxes in the back. When you go out, uh, you can um, just put uh, put your financial contribution in the box. Um, you can also go online to do that. You can participate monthly. But this is how we keep getting to do this. And um, and I believe in it. And, um, and I participate too, just so you know. Uh, and so if you have questions, text that in. If you'd like to participate, do that. I want everybody to just stand with me so I could just pray over you. I don't have a special prayer, but I feel like we just need a prayer. So everybody take a deep breath. You are loved today. You are loved today. Jesus, we just thank you for today. We thank you for a leadership that is standing on the truth of your word. We love you, God, because you first loved us. Your love is reckless, and it is scandalous, and it has met all of us in very dark places. Help us never forget the moment you met us. Help us never forget where we've come from and what you have redeemed us from. 
Although we might be shiny on the outside, God, you have rescued us from deep, dark pits. And there are many people that come here today that are in that same pit. May we extend the hand of you, God, that shows them, hey, I'll sit in the pit with you. You're not alone. Thank you, God, for your reckless love. Go with us, guard us, and may we love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week, Vox. Love you. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.